Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Chapter 6. Burkett notes, This chapter is a continuation of our Savior's incomparable Sermon upon the Mount, in which he cautions his disciples against the hypocrisy and vainglory of the Pharisees, both in their almsgiving and prayers. The former, in the first four verses of this chapter, which speak thus. Verses 1 through 4. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou dost thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou dost alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doth that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, the duty directed to, almsgiving, after a right manner. Do not thy alms before men. Some copies read it, Do not your righteousness before men, because almsgiving is a considerable part of that righteousness and justice which we owe unto our neighbor. He that is uncharitable is unjust. Acts of charity are acts of justice and equity. It also intimates to us that the matter of our alms should be goods righteously gotten. To give alms of what is gotten unjustly is robbery and not righteousness. Observe, too, our Savior's cautionary direction in giving alms. Take heed that you do them not to be seen of men. It is one thing to do our alms that men may see them, and another thing to do them that we may be seen of men. We ought to do alms before men, that God may be glorified, but not to be seen of men, that ourselves may be applauded. Observe 3. The particular sin which our Savior warns his disciples against in giving their alms, namely ostentation and vainglory, which the Pharisees were notoriously guilty of, sounding a trumpet to call people about them when they gave their alms. Thence learn that the doing of any good work, especially any work of charity and mercy, vainglory, and not with an eye to God's glory, will certainly miss the reward of well-doing in another world. Observe 4. The advice given by our Savior for the prevention of this sin and danger, and that is, to do our alms as secretly as we can. Let not thy right hand know what thy left hand doth. That is, conceal it from thy nearest relations and if possible, from thyself. Note hence that the secrecy of our charity is one good evidence of its sincerity. Hence the Egyptians made the emblem of charity to be a blind boy reaching out honey to a bee that had lost her wings. Verses 5 and 6. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Burkett notes, Here our Savior warns his disciples against the same pharisaical hypocrisy in praying, which he had before reproved in almsgiving. It was lawful to pray in the synagogues and to pray standing, and that before men, 
But to do this upon design to be applauded by men is condemned by Christ. Our business in prayer lies with God. We are not to concern ourselves how men like our performances. It is sufficient if God doth approve and will accept them. To cure the foregoing vanity, Christ directs to secret prayer in our closets, where God is the witness and will be the rewarder of our sincerity. Note that secret prayer is a commanded and encouraged duty, and when in sincerity performed, shall be attended with a public and glorious reward. Pray to thy Father which is in secret, etc. Verses 7 and 8. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Burkett notes. A vainglorious ostentation in prayer was condemned by our Savior in the former verse. Here a vainglorious multiplication of words by idle tautologies and impertinent repetitions is condemned also, after the manner of the heathen who expected to have their prayers granted by God for the multiplicity of words used by themselves. Hence note that a Christian's business in prayer being not to inform God, he knoweth what things we need before we ask him nor yet to move and persuade God, for he is our Father. It certainly argues an undue apprehension of God when we lengthen out our prayers with vain repetitions and a multitude of words. Yet note one, that it is not all repetition of the same words in prayer which Christ here condemns, for he himself prayed thrice, using the same words, that the cup might pass from him. Nor two, are we to apprehend that prayer continued to a considerable length, are forbidden by Christ. For Solomon's prayer was such, 1 Kings 8, Nehemiah's such, chapter 9. Tis said the people confessed and worshipped for three hours. Christ continued in prayer all night. And the church, Act 12, made prayer without ceasing for St. Peter's enlargement. And we read of St. Paul's prayer, night and day. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 and of his commanding the churches to be instant in prayer and, and to continue in prayer. But Christ here condemns prayers lengthened out upon an apprehension that we shall be heard for our much speaking, or can move God by arguments while we continue in our sin. Dr. Whitby. Verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Burkett notes, As if Christ had said, for preventing these and all other faults in prayer, I will myself give you a complete form of prayer and an exact pattern and platform for your imitation when you pray. Note that the Lord's Prayer is both the perfect form of prayer and ought to be used by us, and also a pattern and platform according to which all our prayers ought to be framed. St. Matthew says, After this manner, pray ye. St. Luke says, When ye pray, say, Verses 10 through 13. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Burkett Notes the sense and signification of this best of prayers is this. O thou, our Father in Jesus Christ, who remains in thy throne in heaven, and art there perpetually praised and perfectly obeyed 
by the glorious angels and glorified saints. Grant that thy name may be glorified, thy throne acknowledged, and thy holy will obeyed, here on earth below, by us thy sons and servants, most sincerely and readily, and in some proportion to what is done in heaven. And because, by reason of the frailties of our nature, we cannot subsist without the comforts and supports of life, we crave that such a portion of the good things of this life may be given unto us as may be sufficient for us, and that we may be content with our allowance. And knowing that thy holiness and justice oblige thee to punish sins and sinners, we plead with thee, for the sake of thy Son's satisfaction, to pardon our daily trespasses, which we are guilty of in this state of imperfection, as we do freely and heartily forgive others that have offended and wronged us. And seeing by reason of the frailty of our natures, we are prone to rush upon and run into temptation, we crave that, by the power of thine omnipotent grace, we may be kept from Satan's temptations, from the world's allurements, and from our own evil inclinations, and be preserved unblameable to thine everlasting kingdom, which is exalted over all persons, over all places, over all things, in all times, past, present, and to come. And accordingly, in testimony of our desires, and in assurance to be heard and answered, we say, Amen. So be it. So let it be. Even so, O Lord, let it be forever. More particularly, in this comprehensive and compodious prayer, the following severals are remarkable. Namely, one, the learned observe that this prayer is taken out of the Jewish liturgies, in which it is entirely found, excepting these words, as we forgive them that trespass against us. For whence Grotius notes how far Christ the Lord of his church was from affecting novelties, or despising anything because it was a form, a piece of piteous weakness among some at this day. Observe, too, the person to whom Christ directs us to make our prayers, namely, to God, under the notion of a Father, teaching us that in all our religious addresses to God we are to conceive of Him and pray unto Him under the notion and relation of a Father our Father, etc. So is he by creation, by a right of providence and preservation, by redemption, by outward and visible profession, by regeneration and adoption. And this relation which God stands in to us may encourage us to pray unto him. For being our Father, we are sure that he is of easy access unto and graciously ready to grant whatever we pray for. And whereas it is added, which art in heaven, this is not to be so understood as if his essence were included, or his presence circumscribed or confined there, for he fills heaven and earth with the immensity of it. But he is said to be so in heaven, because there is a special manifestation of his presence, of his purity, of his power and glory, and teaches us with what holy fear, with what humble reverence, and not without a trembling veneration, polluted dust ought to make their solemn approaches to the God of heaven. Observe three, that the first three petitions relate more immediately to God. One, that his name may be hallowed. By the name of God, understand God himself, as made known to us in his attributes, words, and works. This name is hallowed or sanctified by us three ways. By our lips, when we acknowledge his divine perfections and tell of all his wondrous works. In our hearts, 
by entertaining suitable conceptions of God, and in our lives, when the consideration of these divine perfections engages us to suitable obedience. Two, that his kingdom may come, by which we are not to understand his general and providential kingdom, by which he ruleth over all the world, that being always come, and capable of no further amplification, but principally the kingdom of grace, promoted in the hearts of his people by the preaching of the gospel. We pray that God would dethrone sin and Satan in ours and other souls, and increase grace and sanctification both in us and them, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened, and we may be preserved blameless to the coming of Christ in his kingdom. Three, that his will may be done, by which the perceptive rather than the providential will of God is to be understood. We are to obey the former universally and submit to the latter very cheerfully. It intimates that it ought to be the prayer and care, the study and endeavor of every Christian, that the commanding will of God may be done so by men upon earth, as it is by the glorified saints and glorious angels done in heaven. Namely, with that alacrity and cheerfulness, with that speed and readiness, with that constancy and diligence, that the imperfection of human nature will admit of, imitating the blessed angels who execute the divine commands without reluctancy or regret. Observe 4. The last three petitions respect ourselves, as the three former did Almighty God, the first of which is a prayer for temporal blessing, give us this day our daily bread, where note the mercy prayed for, bread, which comprehends all the comforts and conveniences of life and whatever is necessary for the supporting of human nature. Also the qualification. It must be our own bread, not another's. What we have civil right to as men and a covenant right to as Christians. Note farther the kind of bread we ask and desire. It's daily bread. Hereby we are put in mind of our continual dependence upon God for our lives and for all the supports of life which we enjoy, and also kept in mind of our mortality, and mark the way and manner of conveying all good things to us. It is in a way of free gift. Give us our daily bread. We cannot give it ourselves, and when we have it of God, we receive it not as a debt, but as a free gift. The next petition is for spiritual blessing. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Where note, one, something supposed, namely, that we are all sinners, and as such, stand in need of pardon and forgiveness. Two, that our sins are debts, willful debts, repeated debts, innumerable debts, inexcusable debts, debts difficultly discharged, and yet, if undischarged, undoing debts. Three, we are obliged to pray every day for daily pardon, as we do for daily bread for our sins are many and daily. For it is here supposed that since we are to pray for forgiveness of sin, it is impossible ever to satisfy the justice of God for sin. Lastly, note the condition or qualification required. Forgive as we forgive. This requires, one, that our minds be full of charity, free from rancor and ill will, and all desires of revenge and secret grudges against another. Two, that we stand ready to help them, and do any office of love and service for them that have offended us. Three, that we admit our offending brother into friendship and familiarity, 
which is called a forgiving him from the heart. Our heart must be towards him as formerly it was. The sixth and last petition follows, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here note, a double mercy prayed for, namely, preventing mercy and delivering mercy. 1. Preventing mercy. Lead us not into temptation. Thereby it is supposed, 1. That we are unable to keep ourselves from temptation, particularly through our natural depravity, partly through our carnal security. 2. That it is God that must keep us from Satan's assaults, his traps and snares, which everywhere he lays in ambush for us. 3. That it's our own daily duty to be earnest and instant with God in prayer, not to suffer us by the subtraction of his grace or in a way of punishing for sin, to run into the circumstances which may prove snares to us, but daily to afford us such a measure of his grace as may keep us from falling by temptation and not leave us falling under temptation, but recover us speedily by his power and enable us to stand more firmly for the future. 2. We here pray for delivering mercy, deliver us from evil, by which may be understood Satan, the evil one, but especially the evil of sin. We pray here that God would graciously preserve us from those vicious inclinations of our minds and evil dispositions of our hearts, which render us so prone to yield to the temptations of Satan. Here we see the ugly and deformed face of sin. It is evil, evil in its author and original. It is of the devil, the evil one, evil in its effects and fruits. It doth debase and degrade us, pollute and defile us, befool and deceive us, and without repentance damns and destroys us. Observe, lastly, the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which contains a compilation of arguments to urge Almighty God with for obtaining the mercy prayed for. 1. Thine is the kingdom. Thou art the only absolute and rightful sovereign, and all men are concerned to honor thee and obey thy laws. Thou art the supreme governor of the world, the king of thy church. Therefore, let thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. 2. Thine is the power. Therefore, give us daily bread, and forgive our daily sins, for thou hast the power to supply the one, and authority to pardon the other. Power of God is a mighty encouragement to prayer and faith in the power of God has a mighty prevalency in prayer with God. 3. Thine is the glory. That is, thine will be the glory, as if we should say, Lord, by enabling us to hallow thy name, by owning the kingdom, by doing thy will, and by thou providing for us and pardoning us, thou wilt have much glory by us and from us. It teaches us that our prayers in general ought to be argumentative. So an argument in prayer drawn from the glory of God, is a mighty encouragement to hope for audience and acceptance. For, forever and ever, that is, thy kingdom is eternal, thy power eternal, thy glory eternal. The God whom we pray to is an eternal God, and this attribute of God is improvable in prayer, as an encouragement to expect the same blessing from God which others have done before us. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen, a word used in all languages, denoting a hearty assent to our own prayers and a hearty desire to receive the mercies prayed for, and a humble assurance that we shall be heard and answered. Verses 14 and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father 
will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Burkett notes, There being no duty to which our corrupt natures are more backward than this of forgiving injuries, our Savior repeats that duty over and over and frequently inculcates it in the Holy Gospels, assuring us that forgiving others is the indispensable condition upon which we are to expect forgiveness from God. Learn thence that every time we go to God in prayer and beg forgiveness of Him, as we forgive others, if we do not forgive them heartily and sincerely, fully and freely, readily and willingly, we fly in the face of God, and our prayers are a sort of imprecation against ourselves. Note farther that although God promises us forgiveness if we forgive others, yet it is with this limitation, if no other conditions of salvation be wanting. For this virtue alone cannot obtain favor with God unless other duties are performed.